Welcome back to Misunderstood. I'm your host, Rachel Yucatel. I am so excited to have my next guest here. I've heard about her for so long, and her story is something that I'm sure all of us have heard before. Tara Newell is the former stepdaughter of con artist John Meehan, the subject of the hugely popular podcast turned documentary turned Bravo TV show, Dirty John. For years, John was a veteran con man, pretending to be a successful doctor so he could prey on single, middle-aged women and financially and psychologically abuse them. This is what happened to Tara's mother. His life ended when he attempted to abduct and stab my next guest. She fought back and ended up killing him in self-defense. Tara, I'm so glad you're here to talk to us about this story. Thank you. I'm so glad I'm here on this planet. (laughs) Yeah, well, there was a time when that was, you know, a, a question of whether or not you would survive, right? Yeah, no, and really that introduction is really eye-opening because it puts reality in my mind and I almost lost my life and you know, I'm so happy to be here because of that certain situation. Right. So before we get into all the details of that and what people may or may not already do know, talk to me about your childhood, where you came from, and how you got to the point you got to. So where are you actually from? I am from Orange County, California. My parents had a house. Well, like they first got a house together in Orange Park Acres. It was a really big property. Our next door neighbor was someone that was a Rams linebacker defender. I don't know the players on the football team, but he was a player for the Rams. And so we grew up in kind of this lavish lifestyle, this Orange County lifestyle. So Orange County is a bit conservative as well, Christian. Um, And my mom and dad, their relationship was a bit toxic in the sense that they fought a lot. Um, I don't think healthy communication was really talked about as it is now. And so I don't think that they really were able to communicate with each other. And my father had also struggled with, um, you know, everyone in the family kind of struggled with like some things here and there. So it was a childhood where I ended up having a lot of nannies because my parents were hard workers and they both had established careers. And then my sister and I were kind of like the second round of children, if that makes sense. So my mom had a daughter and a son in a previous marriage. And then my dad had a daughter in a previous marriage. So we were like the second round of kids. (laughs) And those, those kids are always not as looked after, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, where we had nannies, my mom's kind of just like, okay, I've done this so many times before. Um, I kind of know what I'm doing now, but like, let's just throw the stuff in the car and get going. You know what I mean? Where everything before was like, okay, here's your lunchbox. Here's this. Everything's labeled. You know, that's what my sister and brother grew up with. And then Mm -hmm. I grew up with just like, okay, here's some lunch money. We have nannies coming to pick you up. We're working, you know. And of course, my mom loved us the same and my father loved us the same, but it's just a different childhood. Of course. Yeah. So your parents divorced at some point. How old were you when that happened? 
seven years old when they got a divorce. My mom came in the room and she told me that my father and her were no longer going to be together. And I actually told her that that was okay because I didn't like them fighting. And my sister was upset about it, but I was actually okay with the divorce. And after the divorce, did you end up staying with your mother and your sister? So my mom had partial custody with my dad. However, he had us every other weekend in, I think, like two days a week here and there. So talk to me about your relationship. Um, Your sister's name is Jacqueline, right? So your and Jacqueline's relationship with your mom as you got a little bit older and into her newly dating relationships. How did that, how was that? Well, my mom always wanted my sister and I to have a father. And she saw that the divorce was a lot for my father to go through. So, I mean, he wasn't as round as as much as we would like him to be. And my mom, and he was there for us, but he wasn't there like every single day, you know. And my mom really wanted us to have a father figure in our life that was there every single day. And she wanted this marriage as well. So she kept going and looking for the perfect guy. However, she didn't have the greatest picker. And she ended up marrying this guy who was the dentist. Then he ended up stalking her and ended up taking her to court, getting alimony from her. She ended up having to pay like him $3 million. Wow. And this and, is before yeah. this is before John came into the picture. Yes, this was before John. And it's crazy because I this guy, like I hated him. He stalked my mom. He would go to her store and just watch her from the car. And so that's what I grew up thinking, like, that's is that normal, you know? And then they ended up going to court. He ended up taking her to the cleaners. And then um, we actually lost our house because of him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, and then my mom married this other guy, Peter. And he tried to help us save this, our house. Um, Unfortunately, just, it was too much that my mom had to pay this guy. Wow. And Peter was great, but he was a hockey player with an anger problem. With an anger problem? Yes. Why did that come out on you guys or on your mom? Like one day he decided this one guy cut him off. It was Christmas. (laughs) And he decided to go key this guy's car because he was so upset. And like we're in high school watching this happen like, oh, and then he actually ended up getting in trouble from the grocery place. And they all knew him there because he would go there like three times a week. And so they were like, uh, Peter, you kind of can't do that. And so he had to like pay for it. It was this whole big ordeal. And then he just, he would get mad about certain things my sister and I would do. He didn't have any children. So he wasn't used to children. And then he came into teenagers. So yeah, <laughs> and that just explains girl. things. Yeah, that's hard. Okay, so you've set this up where your mom doesn't have the best picker, which I understand not a lot of us do. That can, you know, cause a lot of problems, um, you know, as you're trying to figure out your life and who you want to be with and also when you have kids. I mean, I'm a single mom 
And, you know, I also am a recovering, you know, love addict, let's say. I definitely want to be in love and find the right person, but it's really hard when you, you know, don't, uh, you're not good at seeing those red flags. And it sounds like your mom didn't come into this relationship with John Meehan knowing how to spot red flags going into it, right? A hundred percent. She was an empath. She was taught to be a people pleaser. She didn't know what to look for and red flags to her were normal. You know, her nervous system was used to these red flags and no one has taught her differently other than these failed marriages and these failed relationships. But when toxic relationships, communication, love bombing, trauma bonding, all of that is not talked about. How are people supposed to know what's going on? Right. And that feels so good to the person that's just aching to be loved and aching for a family. So I think it was really easy for her to fall for someone like John when he came around because also he didn't look like a monster. He looked like, you know, a doctor out of Grey's Anatomy, right? I mean, he was very good looking. He obviously had the social skills to kind of sweep her off her feet. And she was, um, you know, not only an easy target, but he kind of would have made anyone maybe an easy target because of you know, he, how he looked and how he did not look the part of a sociopath. A hundred percent. And it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy because I've talked to so many people that he's dated before or been with just because of the show and everything. Mm-hmm. And he has a range of different women, mm-hmm. women he did drugs with, women he was like a quote unquote perfect boyfriend to. Like he played a different role were all these women. Right. So he was like a chameleon, depending on who the woman was. So let's get into how your mom met John. She met him online, right? Yes. She met him on our time. Okay. What's that? I don't know. Is that like match? It's a senior dating website. Oh my goodness. Okay. For like 55 plus. Uh Yeah. All right. And had she gone out on any other dates with anyone else before meeting John? She went out with a couple of guys. I think she went to the Laker game with this one guy. This one guy seemed pretty nice. He had like a car shop. He seemed, but there was no spark with him. Mm-hmm. And then she actually went on another date with that was terrible, where the guy ended up getting wasted, grabbed a champagne bottle, walked alongside the beach with her. And so that was also like her last date (laughs) that she went on. And she was like, oh, this guy tried to like rape me. This guy tried to grope me on the beach. And she just like left and she walked home. I think she walked like five miles or something. It was ridiculous. Yeah. So that was her last date before John. And then John is you know, smoozing and doing all these things. He's looking suave. He is a doctor. He's sounding so good. So good. And then she goes on this date with him. He comes back. He gets extra comfortable on her bed. That makes her uncomfortable. But And he leaves upset, which is funny. But then he calls and he apologizes. Right. And, you know, my mom's a forgiving person. And my mom, like, her mom, quote unquote, forgived her daughter's killer. So my mom is used to forgiveness. Yeah. And so for someone asking for forgiveness, she's going to forgive that person because she's going to think it's genuine. Unlike a con artist who's, you know, doing it just to gain control of someone. Right. 
So now set up the scene of like how long it takes for John to sort of weasel his way into your mom's house and and all of that stuff. I was living in Vegas at the time and I was just in communication with my sister Jacqueline and Jacqueline was like, this guy is staying here all the time. This guy is just, you know, looking up and down. I don't like him, Tara. There's something about him. And so she was creating a lot of issues with him. And this was, I want to say like a week or two weeks into the relationship, the relationship, things started to get like heavy and then go on heavy because, you know, these relationships are codependent, like with the narcissist and the empath. And so they get entangled and they want to be around each other all the time because one of their energy has the non-empathy and then the other energy has like the over emotions and the empathy. So they get into this relationship, they get codependent and two months into the relationship, my sister is just not having it, throwing fits um, because she lives with my mom. And so my mom ends up getting another place on Balboa Island, a house, and she moves in there and he moves in with her, whether she knows it or not. Right. So, and Jacqueline stayed at the first house. Is that what happened by herself? Yeah. She stayed at the penthouse. Yeah. By herself. And then later, John would try to get her kicked out of there by uh, taking pictures of her balcony from the roof, making lots of complaints to the office. So he he didn't like my sister. So when did you first meet him? I met him two months into the relationship, like probably a little before two months. And that's when they moved into the Balboa place. I came over from Vegas with my boyfriend at the time and our three dogs. We were excited for my mom to have a place to stay where we could bring our dogs. And I met him and he was just kind of putting a mattress on top of the van. And then my boyfriend at the time went over to help him and he just didn't want help from him, um, which Jimmy did have a, a cast at the time. <laughs> So I guess maybe that wasn't helpful, but you still offer, you still accept help from someone when it's offered to you. And John was just kind of cold at first. And we were like, okay, I guess I think that's my mom's boyfriend. And then my mom got down and then she introduced us and he just wasn't very warm to us. How long did it take you to have some red flags or was it immediate besides that interaction? It was probably pretty immediate because we went back to the new place and we brought that truck over. We unloaded it. There wasn't much interaction. Um, Then we kind of get settled for a minute and then there's margaritas happening. I'm asking him questions and all the questions that he's answering are kind of just like close ended. Like I would ask him like, oh, what's your name? Sean. Okay, that's it. Oh, what does your like what's your daughter's name? Like what do your daughters do? Oh, Emily. And like she goes to military school. Okay, that's it. You know, there, so wasn't, there wasn't a lot of chemistry. Uh, he wasn't talkative with you. Uh, and he wasn't wanting to engage with me because mm-hmm. he wasn't wanting to give me more information. And he was wanting to also isolate me. 
He already isolated Jacqueline from my mom. And now it's my turn. You know, I'm the good girl. I'm the easygoing child. I'm the one that, you know, is really going to be the one that he needs to get rid of because I'm going to be the one that's reasonable. I'm not going to make fights with anything. And it's crazy because, like, there was red flags on that first trip where he locked the doors where, well, the child lock was on for the door and I tried to get out and I couldn't get out of the car. And I asked him to let me out with my other friends in the back and he wouldn't let us out. And he went upstairs and then I had to text my mom and call my mom to come down and let us out of the car. That's insane. Why wouldn't he let you out of the car? Did he act like it was a mistake? I think he was acting like he couldn't hear us. Which it was funny because I repeated myself and I repeated myself even louder. But I mm. am soft-spoken in a sense. So I was like, okay, maybe he really didn't hear me. Mm. And But I was like, that was weird. And then when I came back where we went and we left and we went back to Vegas and came back the next week for Thanksgiving... I started to have a lot more questions about him. Like, why is he using my mom's car? Where's his car? (laughs) You know, if he's a doctor, like, where's his stuff? Why is he living here? Like, isn't he wealthy? (laughs) Right. And so did you find money? Yeah. So did you finally question your mom and bring this up to her? Yes. And also, my mom's hairdresser, who does all of our hair, was starting to have questions about it as well because he came in and got a haircut from her. And so things were just weird. Everyone was having questions. Even my mom's old assistant was having questions. Everyone was just like, who's this guy? He's weird. Something's up with him. And When I had those questions, that's when I confronted my mom and then he came up behind my mom and then started screaming at me and then told me that I wanted my mom to myself, um, that I don't want to see my mom happy, that I want my mom's money. And I screamed back some FUs at him Mm -hmm. and I said, no, John, that's what you want. Wow. So that must have been really emotional and tough for you. So your mom at this point had to choose between John and you and your sister, right? Yes. And it was unfortunate because I was staying with her. And so I had to pack all my things. She didn't stop me. I took all my stuff and I left and I had to go to my sister's, which they don't allow dogs there. I had to sneak up the dogs. So it was this whole big ordeal. And the next day was Thanksgiving, which I did all the grocery shopping for Thanksgiving. And then I was disinvited to Thanksgiving the next day. And he was there, even though she's only known him for two months. Right. Oh, gosh, that's so upsetting. I'm so sorry. So soon after, they end up going to Vegas and getting married, right? Or had they already been married and you didn't know? No, soon after, I believe it was right before Christmas and right after our fight, actually. And so how did you find out that they were married? Because they didn't tell you, right? They didn't tell anybody? We didn't find out until like a while later, until we were doing all the investigation, until we found like paperwork or something saying they were married. Or maybe my mom told us one day, but... We were trying to get her away from him, and we didn't know she was married to him. Mm -hmm. 
And how did she react when you confronted her and told her you guys were, you knew she was married and you still were not a fan and all of that? To be honest, I don't think we even brought that to her for a while. I think we kept that to ourselves because we were just in shock. We were like, oh my gosh, she's married to him now. And I don't think we were having like too much communication with my mom. It was like, I would go see her for lunch, only lunch, because she wasn't allowed to go do dinner with me because she had to be back for dinner with John. Hmm. And I would only see her like certain times. So there was very limited communication. And I think that's why we didn't bring it up to her because we didn't want her to know that we knew more than we did. And at this point, did you know that he was a drug addict? Did you know that drugs were even involved in this? When we hired the private investigator, he found out a lot of stuff about John. And that was when we knew that he had different like felonies and stuff, uh, that he was in jail for selling drugs. And so we did know that, but it was kind of like you got to let some of that fear and stuff go because your mom's in it and you can't let your mind go to the worst place. You just have to kind of prepare and know as much as you can, but not show your cards. Right. So were you guys making this play to figure out how to get rid of him or were you guys just letting it play out and hoping your mom was in a relationship that was going to work? Like at what point did you know that this was dangerous and something had to be done? We knew it was dangerous when the private investigator found out all the stuff. And then there was different restraining orders on him from even his sister. Like there was all these, he had a rap sheet. You know, so we knew all this and it was kind of like, I hope she figures this out. We did bring it to her attention, but then, and she did leave him, but then he was able to bring her to different lawyers and they told her that a lot of the stuff we found were not true. So he had lawyers in his pocket as well. That continued to lie to her. Yeah. So when lawyers are telling me this and when he brings other people that are, you know, going against what the private eye said and what we are saying, she's going to choose him because her heartstrings are attached to him. And we're kids, but we're grown up, you know? And so she doesn't need to nurture us and be there for us like she was. So it makes it easier to choose him over us, if that makes sense, because we're not every day in her life. And he's there every day and doting on her and, you know, giving her different feelings than we give her. (laughs) Right. Of course. So at some point, Jacqueline actually tracked his car, right? And you guys started following him and really getting involved in this, like, crime junkie investigation on him. Correct? Tell me all about that. Yes. So my sister ended up going to the spyware shop in Costa Mesa, ended up getting some stuff. Then she took a tracker. I would go have lunch with my mom. I would tell my sister where we're at. And then my sister would go put it on the car. Not even see my mom or me. But she would go show up to the location and go put it on her car. And then she would go, like, take it in and off her car so that she didn't quite know. And we were like, you also have to, like, recharge it or something. So... I would just go to lunch and be like, okay, I'm going to lunch with mom here. She would go take the tracker off the car and on the car. (laughs) Wow. 
That's amazing. All right. So what point did this come to a head? I feel like this was maybe six months or like four months, six months into the relationship. After they were married? Yes. Okay. And did something happen that finally made your mother see the light? I mean, I know it's one thing when you're so blinded by love, it's really hard to see those red flags. So I can see how she was going on and on and on on a path and you guys kept warning her and she didn't want to hear any of this, but something must have happened that finally she was like, okay, this is not the man I thought I married. Yeah. And also we're probably yelling it at her where that makes it harder to hear where, you know, the inner ear shuts off that when someone's yelling at you. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) So she had to really, she had to see it for herself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And everyone in that situation actually has to see it for themselves and make that decision for themselves. Because if people are telling you this guy's a bad guy, you're not going to leave. You might actually go further into it and you might say goodbye to that friend that's telling you that that guy's bad. Right. So, you know, we're telling her this. And at one point it was like, okay, I had to kind of just say, okay, I'm willing to work with stuff with John. And he never wanted to work with me. (laughs) And so I was the one being like, okay, I'm willing to work. I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to do stuff about this. And he was never willing to do it. So in my mom's eyes, like, why wouldn't he be willing to talk to my daughter? And I just started just become like the narcissist dream in a sense, just like people pleasing to her, just like, okay, yeah, I would love to meet him. I would love to do this. You know, why can't he have a conversation with me? Oh, that makes me bummed, you know, just being like that. Right. So you changed your tactic instead of yelling all these facts at her, you decided to go along with her and try and be the good daughter and act like it was just hurting you instead. And you wanted to be part of his life. That's so smart. Yeah. Yeah. And then he ended up getting a dog, moving to Vegas with her. They ended up getting another apartment together. And it's just crazy because I'm forever the person being like, okay, okay. And then he's not going to be able to isolate me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to stay in the picture and able to get lunch with her and able to gain her trust and have that person, you know, and then also my mom, her kids, um, my brother and sister were not letting her see her grandchildren at a certain point because she would bring them around John and John was dangerous. Yeah. And like the other day, my niece shared with us that, and we kind of knew this and we didn't know this, but I didn't hear this story. Like, I heard this story in a different view, if that makes sense. Like, he was, he shared with my niece, who was eight at the time, what the birds and the bees were. And then he also, I guess, showed her twerking videos. And then also asked if she could twerk. And for me, just being in the true crime world too, like, I'm going through so many grooming books and perpetrators and I was like, wow, that's grooming, you know, asking a child to watch something inappropriate, asking them about sex and then asking them if they could twerk. That's a hundred percent grooming. Right. So at at this point, did you um, ever contact his children or former, you know, his wife or his former girlfriends at this point? 
or did your mom? My my sister did. Um, my sister reached out to Tanya. Tanya didn't answer at all during this time. Um, we ended up connecting with Tanya after everything. Um, but my sister reached out to a lot of people and no one would help us. So they just didn't want to be involved? No. Even though they knew Not- what kind of a guy he was? Uh-huh. Not until he was gone, taken care of, and then the story blows up on TV. Right, right. Okay, so set us up as to what happened the day that you ran into him in that parking lot. Where was the relationship between your mom and your dad? What What did you know? How? When was the last time you saw John? Tell us all about that. During this time, my mom had left John for the second time. This was the final time. And literally, he ran his car into a gate. It was in my mom's name. So she went and got that car. Then he literally he literally would leave the dog at the house and then go stalk us. And so the dog would get out and then the dog ended up in the pound. And so we waited a few days for him to get the dog. And then we ended up getting the dog. And then I had his dog. Um, so uh, I was just working and he was just kind of going on a downward spiral and, and he was texting your mom and he was pretty angry at this point, right? Oh yeah. He would text her stuff, um, like saying threatening things. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I feel like I probably blocked those words out of my memory. (laughs) But he would text her threatening stuff. He tried to send me messages as well. But on my Facebook, I had them all blocked. Mm -hmm. And I actually didn't see them until after everything. And so he he was in like a downward spiral, not doing okay. He was coming here and stalking us when he had a house in Nevada, Las Vegas. And then I had his dog. And so. And had you guys gone to the police to let them know that he was threatening you? Oh, a hundred percent. They didn't do jack shit though. They were like, oh, well, he needs to lay a hand on you or you need three harassment suits against him. And we would literally show them text messages of him like sending us my sister a picture of her birth certificate with spit on it and our address and like like I don't know these were threats that were nonchalant but the real threats were said to like my mom Mm -hmm. and so we needed her to like go and be like okay but it was she was trying to protect herself and other people told her other professionals told her that she didn't need to protect us because he wasn't going to do anything to us Mm -hmm which is crazy. But sometimes the professionals don't know all, you know? And so he was in California stalking us. And I know this because a couple days before my attack, he was at the back bay and he saw me hiking and I met these people with Rhodesian Ridgebacks. And so the next day he called and made an appointment to get two Rhodesian Ridgebacks groom in a French accent. And I usually get more information when I get a client calling for dogs, but it was dirty. It was during feeding time. And so all the dogs were barking at me and I just needed to get this guy off the phone. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, yeah. So he, 
wanted to know my schedule. And so he did things to call and get my schedule. But him making that appointment and then him not showing up that day actually messed up my schedule. So wait, were you a dog groomer? What what were you doing at the time? During the time I was working at a dog kennel, boarding and training. And then I was also a dog groomer at that kennel. And so during my lunch, I would groom dogs. And then the rest of the time, I would let the dogs out, feed them, and clean up after them, do all that great stuff and kennel work. Got it. So at this point on the day that you ran into John, were you guys at all in fear for your life? 100%. We were on the lookout for him. My sister actually saw him the day prior. He, She chased him down with her friend because she saw him in her parking garage and she just like chased him and then he went off the freeway and then she lost him and she warned me that he was around and then she actually came to my house to check and make sure I was okay but I was asleep it was uh probably like 9 30 10 and I was already asleep because I had work the next day at 7 a.m. So I was just preoccupied, too, because I had a Jason Aldean concert that I was going to that night. And so my mind was, okay, I got to get ready. I got to come back during this time. I got to because the concert was right after work. So I was trying to do everything to get ready for that concert and figure out my schedule for that. And then I went to work. My mom actually picked up his dog for me that day. And so I only had my dog cash and then I'm at work and the guy doesn't show with the dogs. So I leave and I go home early, get ready. And then I come back early so that I'm able to leave work earlier. Got it. So at your lunch break, you come back early. Yes. um, But then I go back to work early. So I take a shorter lunch break. Because um, I would have been grooming a dog for or two dogs for two hours. So I have like two extra hours that I didn't think I would have. So at this point, you pull into the driveway, right? And where were you? You were at work or you were at home when he ran into you? So I come home from work. I pull into my parking structure. I see a guy with a tire iron and my dog is going off on him. And I tell him to knock it off. I literally pull in my parking space that I normally par- that I normally park in. However, I don't have assigned parking, so it's just like I'm a creature of habit. And then I get out of my parking or get out of my car. The guy grabs me by the waist, looks me in the eyes and says, "Do you remember me?" And that's when I recognize that it's Sean. So why wouldn't you have recognized him? Had you not seen him for a while? I hadn't seen I hadn't seen him since Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving. Right. Okay. That was my very last interaction with him. Other than he did come to my house, but he was staying in the car. And so I didn't, you know, I didn't have any interaction with him. It was when my ex-boyfriend broke up with me, like my mom was in Vegas, and so she came to my house, and then he only allowed her to stay with me for, like, a couple hours. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you get out of the car, and is your dog with you? Yes, and I grab my dog out of the back seat, mm-hmm. and so he grabs me by the waist, and that's when he says, do you remember me? I look him in the eyes, and I just try to get away from him. 
I try to run. I drop my dog's leash so my dog could try to run away and be away from this. And then I'm unable to detach from John. John is grabbing my mouth. I bite him as hard as I can so he's not able to close my mouth or cover my mouth. Um, and so he really stops with that. And then, wow, um, each time I kind of go through the story, like some dots connect a little bit more, but this is when he goes straight to like punching me. So I thought, but he was really stabbing me in the chest. Wow. And then I. So he had not only the, the tire iron, he had a knife. Yes. But the tire iron, I don't know what he did with it. It's probably like on the floor or something. Um, he had the knife in a Del Taco bag. And so that's why I also thought I was being punched. But I felt like I was being punched except with like a searing pain. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then I ended up on my back. My shoulder hits the floor, scrapes the asphalt really hard. And then I'm on my back. And then he falls like on top of me, but he's on his knees. And then he is trying to, this is when the knife is out of the Del Taco bag now. And then now he's trying to stab me and I just keep on kicking the knife or well, keep kicking his forearms to block the knife from coming down on me. And then my dog is attacking his ankles at the same time. And then I'm actually able to kick the knife out of his forearm. And it lands on my right-hand side in the ice pick position. I pick it up, and I just start wailing on him. I think that I'm stabbing him in the front, but I'm really overdoing it, and I'm stabbing him in the back of his shoulder. That's when he gasps, and he starts to fall down on me, like his body weight. I hold his head because I watch a lot of Walking Dead, and so... (laughs) I don't know why I am holding his head so he won't bite me like a zombie. And then the last two, I actually stabbed him in the forehead. And then the last one was in the eye, which is the softest point of the entry to the brain. And that was the one I actually did give thought to because I didn't want him to get back up and Freddy Cougar me. So I did that one. And then I pushed his body off of me. And then I scooted back and then I tossed the knife away. And then I start just like looking around, assessing the situation. I see that I have a one inch stab wound in my forearm. And so I start uh, applying pressure to that. And then I see my dog starts eating the Del Taco in the Del Taco bag. bag. I'm worried that that's poison. And at this time, a lady a white lady and like middle-aged lady in her 40s walks up with her yellow lab like an um english yellow lab and then he she asks me what can i do to help you i see that i'm already covering up the blood and slowing down the bleeding so i ask her to grab my dog and then she grabs my dog and then that's when this guy with dreads came up and he asked me what's going on he sees that i'm bleeding gives me his sweater to slow down the bleeding with um a sweater opposed to my arm and then another girl skylar the 14 year old lifeguard comes up uh, and she's like i'm skylar i'm trained in this and then the other guy goes and gives john cpr i start freaking out (laughs) 
Because I'm like, that guy just tried to kill me. He might try to kill you. Don't do that. And that's when I walk down the hill. I need to get away from John. And then Skyler walks me down the hill. And then I start trying to I get my phone. I start calling my mom. I tell her I'm so sorry. Um, I think I healed your husband. I knew he would do this. Um, Because I also had dreams about me stabbing him before any of this even happened. So I believe that was like my body's way of preparing me for this attack and, you know, premonitions and whether God, the universe, whoever gave that premonition to me to prepare myself for that. I believe that was a gift. Mm -hmm. And so I just started calling my mom, telling her I'm sorry. And then I called my ex-boyfriend because we were kind of in a limbo, weird after relationship thing. And then he was the one that was there and knew who John was. So I called him. He was working bar rescue. And then he is... He comes and he flies down to see me for a few days for that. Yeah, literally The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. I watched so much of it. I would watch the first episode and I would watch it again. And then I would watch The Talking Dead and then I would watch the another episode again. Like I was that obsessed with it. So you know exactly what to do and how to hold a knife and how to get someone off of you. That's pretty amazing. Thank you. And then I also did have a benefit of me coming from the dog kennel, having my dog with me also, and then wearing rain boots because I had more mass and I wasn't wearing like dainty heels. I wasn't wearing sandals. You know, I had a sturdy boot on for kicking. Wow. Okay. So how long did it take for the police to clear you in this? It it was... kind of blurry because mm-hmm. I ended up I had a stab wound in my forearm and then I had one in my chest and they didn't realize that I had the one in my chest until I was done being interrogated um so like four hours was there any five. question that you know what had happened or did they know that you were doing this in self-defense well I was a five two girl against like a big guy there was a lot of questions <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like wait what <laughs> how did this even happen how is she even like not you know because these defensive wounds I have are like very minimal so you know for them coming into this situation they're like oh this is what she's saying this is what you know but we have to go through all the evidence and so they interrogated me but they did let me bring my dog with me but I also was kind of a bitch <laughs> I was like, if you don't let me bring my dog, I'll sue you guys because I have a doctor's note for him. And I did have a doctor's note for him. Um, And he went to the hospital with me in general whenever I needed blood work or anything done. So he was already trained to go to the hospital with me. So if they didn't let me have my ESA dog with me, I would have I would have lost it even more. Wow. <laughs> wow. So and he so, really protected you. Yeah. I saw those pictures there. Thank you. Yeah. So he protected me and they let me bring my dog and then they questioned me. And then I ended up having another stab wound in my chest when I was about to get discharged and go home. And then because of that stab wound, they had to send me to the ICU. And so I ended up 
getting an ambulance, going to a completely different hospital. And then I don't know if anyone's been the trauma unit, but it's very scary. Um, So I was in the trauma unit at UCI and there was people screaming. There was other people. I heard like someone else got stabbed that night that came in. um, But like it sounded like more so gang violence. Um, I was in like this little area with a curtain and so it's like you heard everyone screaming everything I didn't know if anyone was coming after me because I just killed a guy right and I didn't know if he had a partner anything so I was on edge thinking that someone might come in and try to kill me again and um then it all gets blurry because I ended up getting into a room and then I'm just like, I can't be here. I'm so on edge. So they gave me Ativan, Zofran and lots of other stuff. Right. So eventually you found out that John was on life support, I think. Right. And then eventually died. Correct. What, what was the, what happened with him? So I found out he was on life support because they were actually trying to bring him, bring me to the same hospital as him. Mm-hmm. And I denied that. And so I ended up going to UCI and then he was in Global in Huntington I, or Westminster, somewhere around there. And um, so I didn't find out more about that until I was out of the hospital, which I was in the hospital for a couple days because they had to do exploratory surgery on me to see if I was bleeding out. And they wanted to run more tests and stuff. Um, but luckily, I'm totally fine. That stab wound was not harmful to me. It was superficial in a sense. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I still was cut and stuff, but it didn't hit any of my vital organs or anything. So I was yeah. very lucky in that sense. And I found out probably like the day I came back or like the day after I was on a good amount of stuff. <laughs> and oh wait no that's when Jamie came in when I got out of the hospital and then I was there and then the following day is when his sisters and stuff came brought flowers and then that's when we kind of got more information what was happening to John and my Mom also talked to my sister and I about what was going on with John before the sisters got there. Mm -hmm. And we wanted my mom to sign over the life rights to his sister because his she was in charge of him. And we didn't think that that would look good for her to do that. We didn't think she should have that responsibility. And so we had the sisters pull the plug on him. Right. And then he soon after died. So what was people's reaction um, after they found out that you had based, you had killed him in self-defense? Finally, were these people coming to your defense and saying, yes, this is something we went through and we're so happy that he's gone? I've honestly found out a lot more since, to be honest. Um, recently, I found out that some of his family had a funeral for him. And then some of his family didn't go to the funeral. Some of his family was sad by the news. Some women were sad by the news, but understood what I had to do. It was just very complex. 
And I'm not going to lie, I found out people are still angry with me for taking his life, some family members. I will forever have the support from one of his sisters. However, he's had a different relationship with a lot of people. Yeah, I understand that. Um, And do you have a relationship with his children? Have you ever spoken to them? Yes. No, I love Emily and Abigail. I guess he has another son too, and then another daughter. Yeah, one of the daughters will never know he's her dad, though. Um, She has a great stepdad in her life, and she also is um, a little bit mentally... I think she's autistic or something or um, has Down syndrome, but she has um, something where she can't really connect the dots that like and can't accept that that would be her dad, if that makes sense, if you were to even tell her. Um, So he has a daughter, that one daughter, and then he has two, Emily and Abigail from Tanya. And then he also has a son that you find out in Tanya's book that he has. And I also found out from her book that he had a son. <laughs> and oh. I was like, wait, Tanya. <laughs> um, and I've never met him. I've heard great things about him. But I kind of am like, I think that might be weird for me to reach out to him and be like, hey, do you want to be friends? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I think that has to be on his part. But I'm yeah. open to getting to know him as well, you know? Right. So... Do you think that this has finally brought your sister and your mom and you closer together now that this is all over? I think that it really has helped bridge the generational trauma gap. Mm -hmm. I think that we're able to have so many conversations in openness about stuff (laughs) where in the past, I don't think we would have been able to. And I think it's a really beautiful journey because my mom is healing from her trauma my sister is healing from her trauma. I've done a lot of my healing work. I say the healing journey is forever, but I've, I'm at a really great place, to be honest. So I think that it's been such a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I, I'm so glad to hear that. So my mm-hmm. biggest question is, is your mom dating? Or is she able to date now that this has happened to her? Well, she actually was engaged to someone a couple years or maybe like four years after John, mm-hmm. he was a nice guy. It just didn't work out, but he was there for her. She actually got cancer in her eye. Oh, wow. Like, it's weird because like, it was the same eye that I stabbed John in. So it's just like weird how the body keeps the score. And that's how her body accumulated the trauma as well. Wow. And how's she doing now? He's good she doesn't have cancer right now um and that guy was very helpful in her journey so i appreciate him we're still friends with him however that's not her person and she's dating someone right now however my family does have rules (laughs) we won't meet the guy for six months got it okay and but from what you hear about him are you okay with how that's going. He's a firefighter. Okay. And so that's great to me because that, it means that you like to help other people out, but you're not looking for that big paycheck. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. So what would your advice be to people that are going through some sort of a trauma or they've been through a trauma? I would say my advice is to get help, get therapy, 
But be particular. Not every therapist is for you. And not every therapist has helped me in my journey. Meet with someone that knows what you're going through. Even don't be closed off to trauma coaches. I do trauma coaching and I get results from my clients where they say, I've been in therapy for 12 years and I've never learned about this, Tara. I, my therapist never taught me about this. And this has helped me so much in my life, like learning about the nervous system, learning about breath work, learning about narcissism. Like therapists aren't trained to know about narcissists. You have to look for a therapist that knows narcissism. But not only that. I mean, they're trained by, you know, going to school. It's a totally different thing to have someone that knows what you've been through because they've been through that experience. And sometimes you really need to connect with someone that's been in your shoes because otherwise you're just telling someone who's getting their information or their experience through books. And that doesn't always cross over and make a lot of sense. A hundred percent. Yeah. No. And, you know, they're being taught the DSMs and there's been a lot of studies that you know maybe these stigmas aren't really reality mm-hmm. you know maybe I do believe that some people are 100% narcissistic personality disorder antisocial personality disorder however a lot of people are so complex and I want to say abuse is abuse toxic is toxic so if you're in something like that you know, get out, try to figure a way out of that. Um, be careful, though. Make the plan. And you have to understand that people can be toxic, but those people, if you don't enable them, maybe they might be able to learn and grow. You know, a true narcissist, a true antisocial personality disorder, I don't think can truly do that. But if a person, say, was diagnosed borderline and they have a copious amount of trauma, Maybe they just need to work on that trauma and heal from that trauma. And then it might make you aware of other things and your other behaviors in your life. Where I have been that toxic person at times. And I can say I'm not a narcissist. I'm not bipolar. I'm not borderline. But I've been diagnosed as those things. And then until I really got with other therapists after my attack, I've asked them about those diagnoses. And they been like, no, you have CPTSD. And what would your advice be to people who know someone in a toxic relationship, how to um, sort of help them communicate that and communicate what they see so that those people can get out of danger? Because like we were talking about earlier, sometimes when somebody's so blinded by love, they just do not see it. And then they end up isolating themselves from all their friends and it becomes really dangerous. I think that if you're that friend, you need to 100% have boundaries for yourself. So know how much you're giving to that person. You know, if you're giving too much where it makes you stressed out all the time, pull back and tell them that you need to do this and do that. But do like a compliment sandwich. Like I like to tell someone if I can't get together, I would love to get together. I can't right now, maybe next Tuesday, something like that. You know, um, Boundaries don't have to be so hard if you know how to communicate them. Right. Um, So now tell people what you're doing in this podcast that you have. So I have Survivor Squad podcast with Collier Landry. He is a fellow survivor. And we interview different survivors on our podcast, podcast, get to know their stories, get to know what comes next after the healing, everything. And it's really interesting because we get to have a conversation with survivors. 
Mm-hmm. And we all have unique perspectives, but we are able to relate to each other on a whole nother level. And then I also have my coaching. I do Moving Past Trauma Mondays. We call your Landry, where we go through trauma. We teach you certain tools. We talk about certain situations. We talk about the nervous system. We talk about breath work. We talk about so much more. And you really get to learn your relationship patterns, your trauma patterns, and get to know yourself. Does your mom listen to your podcast? She does. She's supposed to be a guest on it soon as well, but we haven't recorded her episode yet because she's kind of like really easily available to me. (laughs) Exactly. She can be the backup when a guest falls out. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. So tell people where they can find your your podcast and where they can locate you if they want to talk to you. My podcast, Survivor Squad Podcast, should be available where any podcasts are available. We are also on YouTube and we have a Patreon. So support us on Patreon. Awesome. Well, Tara, thank you so much. I wish you the best. Please give our best to your mom and your sister. Thank you. I will. Okay. Take care. Bye.